Second service on a holiday weekend. How are you? It's like a little heavy over here on this side of the room. You guys doing all right? <laughs> all right, here we go. Listen, I don't know if you know much about Vertical Church, but we like to have a conversation more than a speech here. So over the next few minutes, we're going to join together in a conversation about some important stuff that's going on that I believe God is trying to push into our community so that we can live differently. It's interesting that God still cares about us enough to give us the practical things that we need to live a different life than maybe we're leading right now to get past some things that maybe formerly had trapped us. And just as an aside, this is why we get together every week and it's why we miss getting together every week. It has nothing to do with the magic of being in this room. What it is is hearing other people remind us that God is still for us. You with me, second service? It's easy for us to forget how God feels about us until we gather together and we start to sing together and hear together the language of God to remind each other, God's still in this with us and there are still good things ahead. I know this doesn't sell or make much money, but we can talk about good news inside of this place, can't we, Vertical Church? It's gonna be a quick morning, a fast-paced morning together. You guys ready to go on this journey together? Fantastic, all right, I'll take it. We'll go from there. My job to build your energy, I'm gonna do that this week. Let's start here. It's known as one of the largest misses in music history. One of the largest misses in music history. The name forever connected with this miss. Dick Rowe. Check out a picture. Doesn't he look apologetic in this image? Dick Rowe and his pipe. All these artists beside him. This guy's famous and linked with this miss. Some would say incorrectly, but according to the research, it shows that this guy's responsible for writing a famous letter, February 10th of 1962. He wrote this letter on a Saturday morning to a manager of an up and coming four member band. And it had this famous, now infamous sentence in the letter. Quote, guitar groups are on their way out. 1962, guitar groups. They're on their way out. Boy, was he in for a surprise. He had a decision to make. He and the label that he worked for between two bands, they decided to go with the band that they thought was gonna be the surefire win. They were gonna put all their bets on this particular band. You wanna know the name of the band? Brian Poole and the Tremolos. You guys know their catalog, right? No, I didn't think so. They had a little bit of success. Don't YouTube it, it's, it's, it's excruciating to listen to. They decided to go with these guys and pass up on this other band that you may have heard of that sold over 600 million albums worldwide and appreciated 21 number one hits. Do you know who they are? The Beatles. Yeah, we have a Beatles fan, that's good. There are lots more of you out there, a fact that Mr. Rowe was painfully aware of. The next part of the story is they went on to, this man went on to sign the Rolling Stones, you know why? Because he had to, to save his career. This one decision, I believe that this man and the company that he worked for would give anything to intercept the post and take this letter back, don't you? In fact, I believe they would do anything to take that whole day back because of what happened next. He just didn't realize the decision that he was making. It was a huge opportunity and as history played out, it was a huge opportunity Missed, wasn't it? Now, I'm pretty sure that most of us in the lives that we're living, the story that we're living right here in the middle of Mississippi, we're probably not gonna find ourselves in one of those big moments where we make one decision this way or that way that changes the course of history. Or will we? 
It's a question we don't know standing where we are on our low vantage point, what history is going to prove about our stories and our lives. My proposal for you today is that many of us have a belief about ourselves that is too small. And as a result, we are settling for a life that is too small. You guys wanna get some encouragement today? I think we all need it. So many of us have convinced ourselves because of the way that our life has gone up until this point that we are small people in a small story and we will make a small impact on this planet Earth if we make an impact at all. It's just how we feel about ourselves. But today, if I do my job correctly, over the course of the next 23 minutes, I'm gonna convince you otherwise. Not because I thought it up, because I'm gonna share with you exactly how God feels about you and what he desires to do for you and through you. These are big promises. I love to make big promises at the beginning of these speeches because I know God can make good on them. How about you, Vertical Church? What if our small belief, this is a big question, I want you to think about it for a moment. What if our small belief on who we are has trapped us in a small life? In order to answer this question thoroughly, I think we need to let the Bible speak. This verse that I'm about to read for you, I encourage you to jot this down, pull out your smart device and type this address so you can look it up later because what I want you to do is get to your house and I want you to find a sheet of paper and write on it and I want you to stick this verse somewhere in your life as a reminder for the rest of the time that you live because you're gonna need to be reminded about this. This one verse says in one little sentence the things that I'm trying to say in a thousand different ways to our community inside a vertical church. It says so much about who God is, so much about who we are and so much about what God is trying to do through us. This is a big, big, big verse. And I wanna read it to you now. We're gonna break it down for just a second and we're gonna move into our real content for the morning. Everybody doing okay so far? We're going places today. Ephesians 2, 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What a verse. Let me say it again and just let it settle in the room. Maybe settle on your heart just a little bit. And let it be the medicine that God intends for it to be over your life and your story up until this point. For you are God's masterpiece. He's created you anew through the work of Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things he planned for you a long time ago. Isn't that incredible? So let me ask you a direct question before we move on today. It's it's very direct and you're gonna have to think about it in the way that I'm going to ask it. Do you consider yourself a masterpiece? Do you consider yourself one of the top creations of one of the most creative masterminds to have ever been. Do you see yourself when you see yourself that way? Interestingly, that's exactly the way the Bible describes you. You are a masterpiece. You know what's even more incredible is the parts of that masterpiece that have been traumatized or have worn down over time. That creative genius sent his only son to repair. Why would he do that? The answer is very simple and straightforward. God has a specific plan for every masterpiece, and that includes you. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this and more. It tells us a fascinating fact that God has an ancient plan for your life. 
That's fascinating to think about, isn't it? God had a plan for your story before you knew you had a story. Your life isn't taking God by surprise, not even one small part of it. He has a plan for it and his goal is to nudge you and instruct you and love you enough so that your life will intersect with that ancient plan. Because as we're gonna discuss later today, you have something very critical to offer the world or else you wouldn't be here. Do you see yourself as a masterpiece? Do you understand that God has something for you to do? He has a plan for your life. This is a fascinating fact to think about, but it's even more important that we live it out. Here's the truth. If we're going to live the life that God has designed for us to live, if we're gonna do the things that God is planning for us in the future, we must be about the things that God is asking us to do right now. Because the harsh reality of our lives is this, sometimes we will have the opportunity to do something like signing the Beatles and if we aren't ready, we're going to miss it. Preparation in our lives is key. And you must know based on my personality how difficult that sentence is to say. Preparation is so critical if we're going to meet those big moments that God has planned for us. And, and listen, church, we're in the middle, all of us, of a very big moment. The world and its answers have crumbled and the church has the opportunity to talk about Jesus and put him forward as an answer for culture's problems. Unlike any other time in history, the world is looking for something to settle this mess. And we, those of us that know Jesus Christ and his healing over our story, we have the ability to share that answer with the people around us. They're so receptive. Don't you know that you're standing in a pivotal moment in history and you aren't, hear me on this, you aren't here by accident. It isn't just an unfortunate falling of events that you find yourself living through the first worldwide pandemic. You were chosen to be here as a follower of Christ to be a megaphone for the love of God to the world. That's a different spin, isn't it? You're in the middle of it. God has a plan for you. We need to be prepared. Let me give you a phrase that hopefully rings so that you'll remember it. When you're in those big times, here it is, in the moment, it's the moments before that moment that matter most. When you get to one of those big moments, we all dream about this, don't we? What would I be like if, if I ran across one of those big moments where I could do something incredible, how would I participate? Would I win the day? Let me encourage you that that dreaming is just fine, but what you need to be about is preparing in the moment. It's the moments before that moment where all those moments stack up and it will let you know if you're ready or not for that big moment. Preparing is so critical. Let me just do this to correct some things for the Christian perfectionists in the room. Did anybody grow up in a church where every sermon sounded a little bit like this? Hey, do better, do more. We do better and do a little more. Here's a Bible verse and do better and do a little more. Anybody else grow up in one of those churches? It's warped us a little bit. Being ready for the plans of God, hear me on this, is so much less dependent upon discipline and determination and so much more dependent on openness and obedience. Let me speak that into this room again. If you wanna follow the plan that God has for your story, keep in mind it's ancient. You're just trying to sync up with it. If you wanna follow that plan, God doesn't need you to be more determined and more disciplined so that you can earn the plan that he wrote a long time ago. You with me, second service? What you need to be is open. 
and obedient. God, what's the ancient plan? Will you show me? Once you show me, I'm open to that plan and I will obey wherever it is you have for me to go. We've been sold a bill of goods and we can just double down that we're gonna find God faster and please him more, simply not true. But to understand this better, we have to pick up and investigate one of my proposal today, one of the most important days in the life of Jesus Christ on planet earth. In fact, as I look at his story from start to finish, if you had a top five of days that were probably the most critical, this would be one of them because of what happened to Jesus on that day. Are you intrigued? I hope so. Matthew chapter three, we're gonna fly through this stuff so we can get to this practical application in the end. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, a friend of his. But John tried to talk him out of it. Have you ever been there? Jesus goes to do something and you see where it's headed and you're like, whoa, time out, Jesus, time out, time out. If you just give me five minutes, I'm pretty sure I can talk you out of this. You ever been there? It's exactly what John's thinking. They knew each other from very early on in their story and John was doing his thing on the outskirts of town. He had actually hijacked a ritual from another religion and was using it inside of the Jewish community to help people turn their lives around. Jesus shows up and John knows where this is headed and he's like, whoa, no, anybody but you. He says this to Jesus. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, Jesus. You see, John, he had too small of a belief in his part in the ancient story. Have you ever been there? Have you been there recently? You convince yourself it's for other people, but not for me. I'm not a professional Christian. I don't work at a church. I don't listen to all the Christian stations. I can't quote the Bible verse and chapter. Anybody but me, John says, I'm the one who needs to be baptizing you. So why are you coming to me? It's so comforting to me. How about you second service that I'm not the first person to be confused by the actions of Jesus Christ. John, a man obviously chosen by God, equally confused. Later, he sends a message to Jesus when he's in prison. And he says, you, you better make sure that you're the one. Are you the one? Jesus says, yes, I am. John, confused, even as spiritual as he was. But Jesus says, and notice the emphatic tone of Jesus's response here. It should be done for we must carry out the ancient plan. Jesus's answer to his friend, John. At this point in the talk, I wanna stop and just get you to ask a question that maybe you haven't asked before because it'll help the rest of this story settle. Why that day? Why John? Why the Jordan River? What took Jesus there to that place in that moment? Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus had a feeling Jesus had a desire deep down and he knew it was something that he needed to do. Have you ever had that go on inside of you? I believe that Jesus felt compelled to go to that river that day, all these years into his life because God gave him that desire. Just as God sent him to the planet earth to do what he needed to do, I believe that God also put this desire, planted it into Jesus so that Jesus would link up with the plan. And here's this rare opportunity we have in this story where we feel a kindred spirit with Jesus Christ because he's operating in his life the same way that we do. God doesn't reserve this just for his son. He works this way in our stories too. I need you to believe today that God gives us godly desires so that we will pursue closer the ancient plan. 
Some of you may be fighting back against that though, right? Because you don't know if your desires are yours or God's. Let me just read a verse to set you free from Philippians chapter two, famous verse, famous chapter in the Bible. It says this, for it is God working in you. Well, I guess we could stop right there, couldn't we? It's God working in you, Philippians chapter two says, giving you two things. Notice this church, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. How frustrating would it be for God to give you a desire, but not the ability to carry that desire out? God loves you so much more than that, than to do that to you. He gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Everybody with me so far? Let's continue the story. Matthew chapter three. So John agreed to baptize him. Jesus was pretty persuasive. We haven't even gotten to the good part of the story. After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. This is where the priest or the pastor says, raised to walk in newness of life, whatever that means. Jesus gets to that point in his baptism and the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove. That's where that dove imagery comes from inside of Christianity and settling on him and a voice from heaven said, this is the voice of God. Can you imagine? Jesus led by desire and a feeling does exactly what he feels like he should be doing. And as he emerges out of the water, he hears a voice from heaven. God taking advantage of the moment, seizing the big moment, communicates something to his son. Here in my mind's eye, this is how I see this is going. God directs this thing to happen. Jesus is open and obedient to being baptized by this man. John, as he emerges from the water, I vision him, God, grabbing Jesus figuratively by the ears and looking him in the face, eye to eye, and saying to Jesus, before you save the world, there are some things that you need to know with clarity. There's some things that you need to understand from me as your father, because what God knew is the next lap that Jesus was going to run on planet earth was going to be a very difficult lap. Here's what we know because we know the rest of the story. After Jesus was baptized by John, he goes out into the desert and he fasts for 40 days with no food. And then he meets the now famous temptation of the devil three separate times. The devil tries to convince him of something that he isn't to get to take the bait. And we see that Jesus faces this with clarity and with confidence. He faces the temptation of the enemy and he passes the test. We also know that even later, Jesus had to go outside of town and hang on a cross for a couple of hours to finish the job. And he faced that task with clarity and with confidence. How did he do this? He did this because he heard one sentence from his dad. One sentence, beautifully written, eloquently spoken, that has earth-shaking consequences. What we're gonna do over the remaining minutes that we have together today is we're gonna break this sentence down and we're gonna do this so that we can grab what we need from it because so many of us need to hear these same three things. You with me, second service? Here we go. The first one is this. God says to Jesus, you are my son. I believe he said it just that way. 
You are my son. What was he telling Jesus in this moment? What he was telling Jesus was, you have a place with me. No matter how the rest of this thing goes, this huge plan that we have to write the universe, no matter how this goes, you are and will always be my son. The things that you will be tempted to do to fill that spot that can only be covered by a father's love. You don't have to do those things. Seats taken, I'm here, you're here, and you will always be my son. If something comes into your story and tells you for you to gain, you must steal it and grab it, especially for me. Don't you worry about that. Everything that's mine is yours because we're in the same family. You appreciate the same last name. We understand exactly what that's like in the South. You have an inheritance. You have a place because Jesus, you are my son and you always will be. As you hear me describe these things, I just have to give you a word of caution. There's something inside you that's probably going to pick up a little bit because you're going to want this too. Hang on, we're going to get there. The second thing that God says to Jesus is this, these three words that so many of us have been so desperate to hear, especially from the people that raised us. More on that later. God looks at his son and says, I love you. I love you. I love you now. And I will always love you. You're my son and I love you. These three words, such particular medicine over the soul. And this father offers them to his son in this moment. I believe God was trying to convince him in the future, if you have someone or something that is offering you love, you need to measure it against this kind of love that we have because it's perfect and it's steady and it's here. Don't take the bait for imitation. You're my son and I love you. The third one that is so fascinating to think about. God says to Jesus, knowing you brings good things to me. Knowing you, Jesus, brings good things to me. Just because of who you are as my son, you bring good things into my story. I believe God was communicating to Jesus that day. Before you've done anything noteworthy to accomplish this mission, Jesus, I want you to understand I'm just as in love with the man in the river as I will be with the man hanging on the cross. Know this before you save the world. Just being in mine has made it better, Jesus. It's the perfect sentence of validation. And I believe personally that this settled some things down in Jesus before he ran his last lap to save it. Now, if you struggle with that, let me just give you a brief commercial here. It is not a sin to need. And I believe, as the Bible instructs us, that Jesus experienced everything that we experience as human beings, although he did not sin, he experienced need. It's one of the worst parts of being human, isn't it? To need, to have lack. I believe Jesus needed some things settled down in his story before he faced the things that were ahead of him. So I ask you the question today in as respectful manner as I can, if God believed that Jesus needed this, why would you think you're the exception? God met this need for Jesus, and I believe he's seeking to meet this need for you. Let me talk to some parents in the room. Do we have any parents in the room? Do you need to sit up just a little bit taller? 
I want to give you just some kind instruction because believe you me, I understand what failure on a pillow feels like at the end of the day when you know that you've blown it as a mom or as a dad. I get that. But let me give you a little bit of encouragement and challenge today. If you have children, no matter the age of those children, you do the brave thing and you walk outside of the service today and you get on that little device that lets you reach them no matter where they are in the world. doesn't matter if they answer the text or the voicemail and you say these things to your children. You validate them because what we understand now is the world is a desperately broken place. And the lap that these kids must run is way more difficult than the lap that we have had to run. If they're gonna put their shoulder to the plow of turning over new ground and participating and making the world a better place and God willing, saving the American church from its own entertainment devices, then they're going to need to be validated. You hear me on this? Why am I saying this? Because validation is so much easier than vindication. So many in our generation have lived lives trapped in small stories because we're seeking to prove to the world who we already are in the eyes of God because nobody told us. Guess what, parents? We can change that one child at a time. It is your responsibility to validate your children. It's one you should be in love with. Validation is a resource that once, once it's shared, it only multiplies. This is how that, this works. I can have validation and I share it with someone else. It doesn't reduce my own validation. That's still there. In fact, it only further convinces me that I have a part to play in the world that's good. Once I validate you, I understand, hey, I can validate anyone. You know why? Because God loved the world. And if somebody's in the world, God loves them so I can validate them. You see how this works? When you give it away, it only multiplies. That's God's economy. It's a resource that once we share it, compounds. Let me ask you a question. How different would the world look right now if those in power or those fighting for it already understood the three things that God said to his son that day? That's a question that will keep you up at night until you start to do something about it. We should start validating the people that are in our homes, but we should also take it further than that. We should start validating other people with a sentence just like the one that God spoke over Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we validate other people with the sentence? This is maybe the most critical step I will share with you today. What you have to do is hear these things yourself before you try to say them to other people. Enter the difficulty. Let me give you three things that I want you to know before you leave this room. Deal? We're almost finished. First one is this. Know that you have a place. Know that you have a place. The Bible instructs us that once we accept Jesus as the ruler of our life, the one that runs everything, then we are given the status of sons and of daughters. You know what? We take his last name. Everything that's his is ours. We have the inheritance. We have a place. Not only that, but Jesus said, I'm leaving and you're going to be sad for a while because that's going to be difficult. But guess where I'm going? I'm going to prepare a place for you, not the collective you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. This lap that you're running on earth, it seems long, but it's so very short. And I'm going to the next place because when you get there, I want it to be perfect. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's building a hallway for me with endless hooks so that I don't have to lose my keys for eternity. Jesus knows me that way. And right now he's working, preparing the place. 
In some ways, I dread that day where I step across to the other side. In other ways, I'm looking so forward to it because Jesus is making it ready. You know what else the Bible teaches? That Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God. That's at a place of authority and power. And do you know what he's doing with that authority and power? The Bible teaches us that he's leaning over to his father and he's saying, hey, Ben needs this. Will you send it? He's letting you get what you need because he is interceding. He's letting God know exactly what you need and telling God, ship it. You have a place and you will always have a place in the economy of God based on the work of Jesus Christ. The second is know that you are loved. Know that you are loved in the most complete way that you could possibly imagine and probably nothing you've experienced here on earth can ever match that. The Bible teaches that God is love and that God loves the world. Are you here? Are you in the world? Then God loves you. That love is a love that drove him to sacrifice for you before you were even born and to sit down pen in hand and map out an ancient plan so that you could participate in the world in a way that would bring you joy and pleasure and purpose. You are loved in a way that is planned for. This is the message of God. He's been saying over your story, even if you've become tone deaf because of the trauma, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. This is what God is saying. So many of us are hearing, I don't love you, I don't love you. Work harder, earn it, earn it, earn it, earn it. That is not the voice of God. You have a place and you are loved. And this will be the most difficult one for you to believe. Lastly, you have something to offer. You, you have something to offer. You know why? Because you're God's masterpiece. The world needs what you have your particular version and flavor of it, and especially your corner. This is why the enemy is so hell-bent on asking you to check out, because he knows if he can lessen your story, then he can cheat God's mission in the world. You have something to offer. Think of it this way. You're a critical player in an ancient plan on a cosmic level. This is the internal dialogue of a masterpiece. I'm a critical player in an ancient plan on a cosmic level to convince the world that God doesn't make junk and he has a plan and we're headed somewhere. Do you see yourself as a masterpiece? Do you know these three things? Let me challenge you as we're finishing today. If you don't know these three things before you take the next steps in your journey, as you leave this building, you need to plant them very deep down before you get to the next steps of your life. You need to understand you have a place, you are loved and you have something to offer. And if you're in a place or a relationship that doesn't convince you of these three things on a regular basis, I just wanna propose to you today, caution, you may be in a relationship or a circumstance that is seeking to trap you in a small life. What would it be like if you left this place in a few seconds, convinced? You have a place and you are loved and you have something to offer. Let's pray together. God, this morning, I I just wanna thank you for orchestrating this moment between you and your son and being vulnerable enough to let us in on it, to hear this perfect sentence of validation. For those of us men and women who are in this room today that did not hear these three things from the people that raised us, I ask that you would be a God of provision. 
God, I'm telling you, there's just no chance we can join in the ancient plan if we don't believe these things. Some of us, if you don't say it, God, nobody will. So I pray in the days ahead for those of us that have a big role to play, that can do things more spiritually significant than signing the Beatles. God, convince us who we are to you, how much we mean to you. God, help us play our part in saving the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for your attention. We'll see you next week.